0: Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chattuck. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Join host Karen Doyle-Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading attachment theory researchers and clinicians in the field. Today, Karen welcomes Dr. Claudia Gold for part one of their conversation on her new book, The Power of Discord, co-authored by Dr. Edward Tronic. Part two will be released on December 8th.
1: Hello everybody and welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. I am your host Karen Doyle Buckwalter joining you here from Chaddock with another fantastic guest I'm going to be interviewing on the podcast. Today we are going to welcome Dr. Claudia Gold, who is a pediatrician and a writer who has practiced general and behavioral pediatrics for over 20 years and now specializes in early childhood and mental health in early childhood mental health. She is on the faculty of the University of Massachusetts, Boston Infant Mental Health Program, the Bresleton Institute at Boston Children's Hospital, and the Berkshire Psychoanalytic Institute. She is a clinician with First Steps Together, a program for pregnant and parenting women recovering from opioid dependence, and the director of the Hello It's Me Project, a community-based program Supporting Parent-Infant Relationships in Rural Western Massachusetts. She's also the author of The Power of Discord, Why the Ups and Downs of Relationships are the Secret to Building Intimacy, Resilience, and Trust. She published that in 2020, along with co-author Ed Tronick, who many of you are familiar with who listen to the podcast. She's written several other books, The Developmental Science of Early Childhood, The silenced child and keeping your child in mind. So I am, as always, very excited and really looking forward to talking to Dr. Gold. We're mainly going to be focusing on uh, her new book, uh, but uh, we'll also be exploring some other topics as well. So, hey, everybody. Um, I am back, as promised, with Dr. Claudia Gold here on the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. Dr. Gold, thank you so much for joining us
2: today. Thank you for having me.
1: So, I shared with listeners your background and all the wonderful things you do and the books that you have written and all of uh, that information. Is there anything you could share with us... Uh, what i call your informal background you know how you were drawn to being a physician and working with children and the type of work that you're doing
2: sure so well i grew up with a mom who's a child psychologist and she practiced actually in our home um and so that had i was intrigued um also probably had some psychological impact on me (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, that is relevant to my wish to help children to be heard. Um, and so then I actually had a very powerful experience when I was in high school working with Paulina Kernberg, who's a child uh, analyst. Um, and I did a, a elective when I was a senior in high school with her. And so she had tremendous influence on me. And I, I took a child development class with the child psychiatrists And I was just, it was so magical, the the world of child development. So originally I wanted to be a child psychiatrist, but once I saw about uh, this this kind of wonder of child development, I decided I wanted to be a pediatrician. Um, So it's kind of interesting that I've come full circle to be really more of a mental health professional when I started yes Uh, that is my original interest (laughs)
1: yeah yeah that is that's very interesting um so um one of the the things that um in the in the book that that you and dr tronic had have written the power of discord which has really impacted me i have to say like i am i'm constantly thinking about the value of rupture (laughs) And, st- you know, that it, it's just really shifted my paradigm. Of course, I knew that, you know, the 70-30 split and all of this and we want repair. But I still think as clinicians who work with children, we still have it like really in our minds, attunement, you know, 100% would be the best, you know, we're we're just doing the repairs because we're not able to do that. And this this whole idea of those are needed to develop resilience is just kind of, turning that whole idea on its head it's really a different paradigm in yeah. way of thinking which which I do want to talk about talk about more but let's just start with your introduction to the book you know where you write about yourself and being a physician and um, you talk about how you moved from thinking about, you know, when, when, when your patients would come and it was the idea of, you know, managing symptoms. Um, in fact, I want to read what you say here. Cause I found it so compelling. So you said I was, beginning to learn to simply listen with curiosity instead of jumping directly from diagnosis to treatment. Rather than searching for what is it and what do we do, I ask more open-ended questions such as how was your pregnancy, what was your child like as a baby, does she remind you of anyone in your family? That was my favorite one. Um, With this invitation to talk, parents opened up and the stories flowed. I just was so fascinated by that and how you went from your original thinking to that. So tell us about that.
2: Well, it was a really uh, fortunate kind of uh, coming together of a, a number of different experiences. So I was in a very busy frontline practice, uh, going to deliveries in the middle of the night. Um, and at that time, uh, the Berkshire Psychoanalytic Institute opened um, which was housed at uh, Austin Riggs Center, um, although the faculty came from all over. And so I would be in my practice, and I was then at the same time reading Winnicott, that's where I first learned about Tronic, uh, Peter Fonagy, um, things that you never learn as a pediatrician. Um, a whole world that, that was just not open to me. and. I also, another thing that was happening then was there was a massive increase in diagnosis of kids with ADHD. Um, So I was like inundated with referrals. And that was also when there was the, what I put in quotes, the discovery of of bipolar disorder. Um, So these major changes in in children's mental health care. And so I was getting all of these referrals and I then I started to use the ideas that I had learned about from Winnicott and Fonagy and, and Tronic and all these others, and I was blown away by what happened um, because it was very uh, the things I had learned as a pediatrician, um, which were you know about using special time and timeout and behavior management. Often I would be very frustrated, and the families would be frustrated too. And I, you know, so I was sort of in the right place at the right time. I had all these patients, but I wasn't able to help them. And suddenly, these incredible transformations started happening and just these like one hour visits. Um, and uh, another thing that happened was that I got a different office. So the, the, the actual physical space changed. Oh. Um, when I started to focus more on behavioral pediatrics. Um, And, you know, it just blew me away. Actually, I wrote a whole book about it. That was my first book because it was so moving to me to see what would happen. And I wanted to, you know, the book is read mostly by parents, but I really wanted my pediatrician colleagues to to see this. Like, hey guys, there's this whole other world that we really should know about that, that can help us to help families. And how receptive were colleagues to that? Uh, i'd say I would say it's a work in progress now, ten years later <laughs> um, and there are some who are very uh open um and i uh did uh, originally I did speak at a number of pediatric conferences I have to say um I have migrated more into the field of infant mental health once I learned that there was such a thing, which I also write about in the book, because when I was originally doing this work, I had never heard of the field of infant mental health. So once I did that, I have to be perfectly honest, I have found myself much more comfortable in that world than in the world of pediatrics. Um, and, but I don't want to abandon that. And I actually even... We don't want
1: you to abandon that either.
2: Yeah. I (laughs) had this very hopeful experience, I should just say, just yesterday. Yes. um, Where this new paper just came out, um, using the term early relational health. And there was a whole, um, uh it's called the Frameworks Institute. I don't wanna, so there was a whole big project and they just came out with this big study. Uh, and one of the st- people spearheading it is this guy named uh, Dave, David Willis, who's a pediatrician. Um, yes. And so the idea is to use this term early relational health to capture the importance of supporting early relationships. Um, and my hope is that that language can be a, a way to bring in some of uh, this material that yes. is not available to uh, uh, pediatricians. So, so yeah. that was, to me, that was a huge thing. And there were a thousand people on the call. Um, and so that was, as I said, it's still a work in progress, but yes. I think we're moving in the right direction.
1: <laughs> and, and so the reason I say, maybe I should um, clarify, we don't want you to not do that. You know to to give up uh interfacing with pediatricians is because i think as clinicians and as child therapists um you carry so much clout um that we don't have and a, a lot of parents are coming to us what's the diagnosis what's the pill you know what's you know and and we we struggle with that you know that that a relational approach even though that's like what you would think um with with child child and family therapists um there's resistance to that um and it's more about you know let's look at symptoms and target them with some kind of medication so we're just absolutely desperate for folks with your kind of training and influence um to to help with that uphill battle
2: yeah it is a real uphill battle and so i feel i flattered that you think I have influence (laughs) and there is something about the MD that does carry that Um, but it's it's been uh, it's it's an ongoing struggle to really shift the paradigm Um, and I have uh, very grand uh, views of what I hope this book can do because I think that we are stuck in this biological model that you have, uh, you either do or do not have an illness. And the whole uh, model of mental health care um, is kind of currently rather devoid of any developmental or relational frame. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, I think, problematic. It leads to these ideas, which we talk about in the book, about certainty, you do or you do not have this. Yes. Um, And it's not, looked at in a developmental and relational context and the book really i hope shows that who we are is a is a developmental process over time and and there's like it's a spectrum it's not that you either do or do not have uh, an illness Um, and so and that also has a lot of implications for how we get better you know, if, if our, our I'm I'm really getting into the meat of the book here, but if absolutely,
1: our, please. If
2: our sense of ourselves in the world as either kind of hopeful and engaged and connected, or or anxious, rigid, um, those ways of being in the world evol- evolve over long periods of time in countless interactions. Um, So if we want to change them, and we can change them, it's just that it takes a lot of interactions in a lot of relationships. So we can look at how we got that way to help us think about how to change. And how to change is not going to be a a one-dimensional, even a two-dimensional solution. And it's certainly not going to be, you know, in six to eight weeks. Um, It's going to be a process over time. But once we accept that, then the world kind of opens up to us of of very creative ways of healing.
1: Yes, yes. Um, And so, uh, obviously, we're on the Attachment Theory in Action podcast, and every pediatrician would be aware of attachment theory. But I'm curious, in your journey from pediatrics to infant mental health, how your thinking of attachment theory refined
2: or changed or evolved yeah so I so I think the concept that our early relationships um, have uh, an impact on our long-term uh, capacity for emotional regulation for social interaction for clear thinking you know I, you know that science is very solid. (laughs) Um, And I think, but I think what breaks down uh, in the translation is that it becomes this very categorical way of of thinking. And people say, well, you either have secure or insecure attachment. um, And if you have insecure attachment, you have this outcome. Um, and, And what gets lost is the kind of individuality of relationships and the process over time. Um, so I think uh, attachment theory is, is really important. Um, and the, as I said, I think that the the evidence is very solid. Um, but in terms of what you do with it, yes. as a patient, you really need to you know, understand this other layer of it, which is really what we bring in in the book. Yes. Uh, we, uh, what goes on in the moment to moment in an individual and how each relationship, each re- attachment relationship has its own shape and form yeah Um, so yes yes your question
1: absolutely absolutely um and so um you know another obviously strong concept in the book i say obviously because the still face and and all of that is um the idea of mismatch versus and and not versus, but mismatch and moments of meeting. And, yeah. you know, I'd like you to talk a little bit about that because that's elaborated on in different ways across the book. But, you know, mm-hmm. if, if you wanted to just define that and share some thoughts about those terms, what would you say?
2: Um, well, that um, the, the value is in the difficult moments. Yes. Um, because – Uh, And I'm just thinking, I I had such a wonderful story yesterday. I I do uh, um, some groups with with moms in uh, recovery from substance use. And there was a mom talking about um, the evolution of her relationship with her three-year-old and how for a long time she was very kind of authoritarian in her parenting style. Um, and and sort of looking back on it, she she really saw that it was not helpful, um, and and she even used the term "I messed up," I w- I did it wrong. Mm-hmm. But she was able to kind of evolve in 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 her recovery and in, in in a whole bunch of ways in her life, so that she could see a different way of being with her child and being more open to like thinking about his perspective, um, and that she saw the transformation in their relationship so her it wasn't perfect I mean it was it was in fact very problematic for a while Um, but her sense of her own self efficacy that she was able to navigate a difficult time she was able to say to him look I'm sorry that I I lost my cool there that was not a good moment and that that really deepened her, her sense of herself uh, his sense of his closeness with her, and even her, his ability to be more independent, and as he grew into a more separate person. So it was a great, just a great little story of the value of of mismatch and repair. Uh, it's not, it's not one of an. In, I have many, many of an individual moment of meeting, um, uh, which we're uh, having uh, so many more now in the age of COVID. <laughs> Of course, immersed in mismatch and repair and moments of meeting. So, I, I mean, if you want, I can also give you. I can think of a, a more narrow example of a moment of meeting. Yes, I love. I'd love to hear it. Um, so, this is another one from a baby. Um, I did a Zoom meeting with a family who. Uh, They literally found out that they were going to have to go through labor alone like the day the pandemic started. Like she was in labor and she found out that uh, she wouldn't have her doula. I mean, now doulas have learned how to do their work remotely, but it was like March 25th or something. Um, or It was early in March. Um, So she she went through labor for 24 hours, just her and her husband alone um, at home. She was having a home birth. Anyway, yeah. then, um, she described how the baby when we met was about four weeks old. She described how there were some very dark moments um, when she, the breastfeeding wasn't going well. But then on the call with me, while she was telling me about uh, how she felt insecure and how she couldn't work with the doula and that she felt frustrated, so I watched her and the baby was right there. And the baby wouldn't latch on. So she, he was sort of acting out what she was telling me. And then as she kind of calmed down and she told me the story about how she kind of figured it out, then he, he latched on. And then there, like, right in front of my eyes, you know, was this wonderful moment where he was peacefully nursing at her breast. So, so we, we, I actually saw her describe the distress and actually show me, how she could move through the mismatch with him and then have this wonderful uh, moment of this peaceful nursing.
1: Yes. Oh, that's a beautiful example. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so, you know, Winnicott is all through the book and and um, anybody who's into child development and attachment theory knows about Winnicott, but um, because he's mentioned so often holding environment and different things and maybe even some new ways of understanding what he said, I, I'd love to hear you just speak to some of his concepts that have been important to you and that have influenced you the
2: most. Yes, definitely Winnicott is the greatest influence on my thinking. Okay. Yes, I can tell in the book, you know, it's, it's the thinking so... Well, first of all, I mean, I think the concept of the good enough mother is exactly what we've been talking about. Yes. People sometimes dismiss it as kind of a reassurance that it's okay that you make mistakes. But the good enough mother is a much more profound concept, which is very similar to the kind of things that Dr. Tronick elucidated in his research, which is that it's actually the, the not knowing how to meet your baby's needs and the ways where you don't quite meet them, as long as it's kind of proportional to their development, that that's how a child becomes their own person, that through the good enough mothering. Um, so it's a very, very profound concept that I, I don't think gets it in, in sort of parenting articles. It may not get its full uh, due of how profound an idea it is. <laughs> um, The other thing I love about Winnicott is his kind of playfulness. And, uh, you know, when I work clinically and when I do supervision with uh, other clinicians, I always uh, emphasize this idea of not knowing what's going on and being okay with not knowing what's going on. Because that's when, in terms of the clinical setting, when you allow yourself to just like, and I can't tell you how often I am actually consciously aware when I'm on the floor with a family and their baby, that I say to myself, I don't know what's going on, and I'm just going to let it play out. And that's when we have just tremendous insights instead of me saying okay so tell me what you do about the feeding and why is what happens when you feed you know in a more sort of traditional structured interviewing way Um, so i love that uh kind of stance of not knowing and and just being uh uncertain uh is is very much of a a winnicottian concept that i love Um, And then, you know, and this is what we go into in the book in more detail. It's another very profound concept of this idea of going on being. Yes.
1: Um, And that's not written about as much. I'm excited that you're – I was actually going to ask about that concept if you didn't just bring it up.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and so this is – it's the parallels with with as with Dr. Tronic's research are really quite striking um because he did this research on you know the the length of time to reconnect and and those levels of stress hormone and what Winnicott talks about is um, uh, that babies kind of tolerate uh their mother being out of view or these kind of moments where what, what what Ed would call a mismatch and he, he actually uses X plus Y like this is amount This is an amount of time that the baby can still have a sense of themselves But if it's too long if it's X plus Y plus Z the baby's very sense uh, You know, then the mother doesn't exist like where they don't have a way of you know Depending on their age and the time and the age are connected of, of holding in their mind that the mother still exists and if the mother doesn't exist, well, then they don't exist either. And, and that's that sort of uh, what Melanie Klein called the annihilation of the self, that, that really, really profoundly disturbing sense that you don't exist. And I mean, I think that that's something that we see in what we call, you know, serious mental illness or people who are extremely depressed or even, you know, that, that the idea that in a minute I will still be here and I will still be me um, that's something we just sort of take for granted and when you don't have that it's it's just uh what he calls it madness you know that he doesn't use the term mental illness but uh i think you know we can learn a lot from that that's really profound recognition of that sense of of not of there is no me mhm mhm you know
1: i'm thinking about um disorganization and what produces that um, in babies and as Mm -hmm. assessed in the strange situation and um, the unresolved trauma in a parent who dissociates while caring for the baby Mm -hmm. and I think it ties to what you're talking about the baby's like they disappeared (laughs) where are
2: they you know what does that mean for me right and then that leads to you know that behavioral disorganization for sure because you know they just can't even manage their their physical being without the person containing them um so uh and and a very young baby doesn't have those ideas there is no me but it is that's where their sense of self is fundamentally taking shape so if there are in the disorganized attachment when when it's completely unpredictable um then that Uh, It looks like uh, behaviorally, like, you know, sleep disturbance, feeding disturbance, sort of of disorganization of the the behavior, but but that reflects this more kind of deeper sense of, of the emerging self being somehow not coherently put together
1: right right oh this is all so fascinating um i see that we're about halfway through so i'm going to ask our listeners to definitely join us next week for part two of our discussion with dr Gould, the power of discord her her newest book with edtronic and we look forward to you joining us next time
0: This concludes part one of the two-part conversation between Karen Doyle Buckwalter and Dr. Claudia Gold on her new book, The Power of Discord, co-authored by Dr. Edward Tronick. Part two will be released on December 8th. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Attachment Theory in Action. Please follow our site, tkcchatok.org, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean for future podcasts. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please log on to tkcchatik.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory.